Well, we are starting a series, a little mini-series we're calling Breakthrough. And really this idea of breakthrough, when you think of, um, when you think of the reality and where you want to go and the obstacle between the goal and reality, uh, you have to make some decisions and you have to push through, you have to press through, you have to discipline yourself. But there are some things in life that you can't push through, some things in life that you can't grab the steering wheel, you can't take the bull by the horns, you have to let go and trust God. And uh, in fact, there's a little acrostic. I didn't mention this in first service, but there's a, if you really want to grow in life, G-R-O-W, you have a goal, that's the G, goal, but then you have to face reality, you have to look at the obstacle, and then you have to ask the question, the W, G, goal, R, reality, O, obstacle, W, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I want to invite us to do some time in prayer over the next 21 days. That we would take the 21 days, the next three weeks, it's amazing what kind of habits can form in 21 days. You know, do you guys remember way, 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 way back in the day? Like way back. Not like Blockbuster way back, but like way back four months ago. When we were saying to each other, man, hopefully this blows over in a couple of weeks. Right? You remember that? And now here we are four months in, almost a half a year in, and, and we need some breakthrough. We need some breakthrough uh, physically. We need some breakthrough financially. We need some breakthrough relationally. We need some breakthrough spiritually. And, and here's what I'm inviting you and I uh, to do over the course of the next 21 days. I'm inviting you to pray some brave prayers. I know now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. In fact, by the way, that is a little bit of a brave prayer for a kid. You know, if I die before I wake. Like, what kind of prayer are you asking your kids to? <laughs> if I die before I wake, I pray my Lord my soul to take. You know? No, I'm grabbing it from hell. Like, that is a brave prayer for an eight-year-old, but, but you, you can pray braver than that. Do you know prayer makes the difference between what you can do and what God can do? Your prayer makes the difference about you relying on your strength and you leaning into God's strength. And I'm inviting us to identify some prayers you can pray bravely. Maybe, maybe you have gotten frustrated with a situation and now you're, instead of praying bravely over it, you are yelling at the top of your thumbs on Facebook about it. Anybody ever been there? In, instead of uh, praying over it, we just get frustrated over it or we just deal with it or we just roll our eyes over it. And I want to invite us to pray some brave prayers, identify it, and pray brave. Over the next 21 days, invite you. Maybe prayer, maybe you don't know how, or you don't know when, or you don't know even know what it looks like, or you're not, you're not good at praying. Welcome to the club. You don't have to be good to pray to pray. Like you, it's just it's simply engaging the process, and we want to help you. Every morning, uh, Monday through Friday at 6 a.m. over the next 21 days, we're inviting you to be a part of our Lufkin location, our Nacogdoches location. Uh, we will live stream with hundreds of other churches across the nation, and we will have a, 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 a driven agenda prayer from 6 to right before 7 a.m., and we invite you to be a part of that, especially gearing up gearing up towards uh, back to school and just kind of back to new normals, you, you, you name it. And can I just say, for those of you that have never been to like a prayer meeting, um, we are going to have some prayer nights, worship nights, on Wednesday nights, the next three weeks. Uh, the first two, Luf uh, Nacogdoches, they'll be at the Lufkin location on the 5th and the 12th. But then on the 19th, all of us will be at the Nacogdoches location with you. And we're calling those closer nights and a time of prayer and worship. And it's all, it's led. Now listen, if you've never been a part of a prayer service, and when I 
say a prayer service would be great, and you're thinking, oh, man, I knew that's they're going to get crazy, going to get weird, people going to lay hands and pour oil over me and the snakes. No, 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 we don't do snakes. That's Thursdays. Just kidding. We do that in the month of Neverary, okay? We don't, we don't, do, we don't do the snakes. All right. But we, we, it is, a, it is a, um, a heated up environment for you to experience God, but it's also a very safe thing, okay? If you've ever been to a prayer meeting and all of a sudden like somebody's doing something, like but we, it, it's, a safe, it's a safe thing, but it's an important thing. So we invite you to be a part of those closer nights and pray some brave prayers. But not only that, don't just pray some brave prayers. Expect divine breakthrough. There are, some, there are some things that only God can do, and we want to ask him for those things. He invites us to ask for these things. Now, in order to get to identifying our breakthrough, I, I want to tell you that the reality is that many of us might be dealing with a situation where the breakthrough you think you need is not the breakthrough you really need. That the breakthrough you're looking for is not what you really need to break through. So that's where we want to land today. We want to spend a little bit of time on the most important, what's the first step of a breakthrough? What's the first, what's the first posture for us to really experience some kind of uh, divine or spiritual, maybe even supernatural breakthrough in our life? So to start, let me give you some good news and some bad news. Give you some good news and some bad news, and then, and then we'll ask the question, okay? So the good, the good news is this. Since creation, God desires to draw near to us. He is not like the other little G gods in all of literature that stand there at a distance, like Bette Midler would say, God is watching us from a distance. He is a God that draws close to us before we could ever draw close to him. He is a relational God, not standing there demanding you go through this hoop and this hoop like a spiritual American ninja warrior course in order to get close to God and finally hit the buzzer and you've arrived. No, he, he draws close to you. He goes through what it takes to show you he loves you and that he meets you right where you are. What a good God we serve. That's the good news. The bad news is even though that's the God of the Bible, in fact, the, the, the Bible, the story of God, the Bible is not a story about us trying to get close to God. Really, the Bible is a story about God wanting to draw close to us. But here's the bad news. Since creation... We've been addicted to taking matters into our own hands. We have a God that will meet us where we are, but we love to say, I got it, God. I'm okay. We're going to be all right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrestle this thing. I'm going to bite my bottom lip. I'm going to get it with my bootstrap. I'm going to make it happen with my strength. And all throughout Scripture, we see people of God wanting to take matters into their own hands. And God is saying, will you let me handle that? And they say, no, 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 no. I got this. And it starts in the Garden of Eden. God says, that tree, that tree, that tree, that tree, that tree, that tree, that tree. Be naked, multiply, eat all the fruit, walk around naked and whatnot. Pretty good paradise. No thorns or anything. Like, so you can walk around naked. He says, but there's this one thing, there's this one tree, don't eat of that one tree. And sure enough, it's that wanting to take matters in our, into our own hands, the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. And we, Adam and Eve, eat of that tree and there's consequences and they're embarrassed and they're vulnerable and they're ashamed. And the first thing they do is they want to cover their innocence. They want to cover themselves up and try and make themselves look presentable. And what does God do? He looks over the wall of heaven and says, how could you? No, 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 no. The Bible says God, even in their middle of their junk, He's walking through the garden to meet them where they are. 
He meets them where they are, and he doesn't slap them in the face with a belt. He gives them consequences, but he talks with them, and he guides them, and he leads them to continue to draw near to him. It's all throughout Scripture. We love to take matters into our own hands. So the question that I have for us today is how are we, with all our sins and flaws, our desires to take matters into our own hands, how are we able to stand in the presence of a holy God? Because despite what Hot Topic might sell on a t-shirt that says Jesus is my homeboy, although Jesus will be a friend that sticks closer than a brother, the only way you can know a friendship with Jesus is to first know him as Lord and Savior and the holiness of who he is and the majesty of who he is and the bigness of who he is. It's because it's, it's his bigness and his majesty and his goodness that saved you while you were still a sinner. And he dies for you. And a holy God, sin is what separates us. See, sin is not about the act you commit. It's about the authority you reject. Sin isn't about that particular thing. It's about the attitude of the heart that says, God, I'm in charge. I don't need you. I would prefer to sit on the throne of my life. And God says to you, if you want to live like that, you can live like that. In fact, if you want to go through eternity sitting on your own throne, you can do that too. I won't force you to be with me in heaven for eternity if you don't want me to be on the throne of your heart here. Sin separates us. And so how is it that a God who wants to draw close and yet our sins and flaws keep us from the presence of God, how how does he make that right? And even though he's a holy God and sin can't live in his presence, he still invites us into personal relationship when we are imperfect people. Well, that's what the whole word of God is about. That's what the story, it's not Aesop's fables, a collection of all these tales. It is story after story that has one main thread. You and I are invited to stand in the very presence of God, covered not by what you do, but by what Jesus has done. And you can have relationship with the God of the cosmos. Wow, it's a whole story of the Bible. And to unpack this a little bit today as we get prepared to talk about the first step in our breakthrough, I want to talk about one particular. We could go to all 66 books of the Bible, but let's go to one book, the first book, the book of Genesis. And we're going to talk about a real man who really lived. His name was Jacob. And Jacob is the grandson of Father Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm, left foot. Wouldn't that be weird if we all were doing that still like an adult church? Like back in kids' church, we would sing that song, Father Abraham, right arm, left arm, right foot, Father Abraham. People walking in through the doors, and we're all like, and they're like, I knew this was a crazy cult. Like, Like, what is going on here? I want to go to Jacob's life, and his life spans multiple chapters, but I want to go to the cinematic climax of his story. It's where his story goes from a clinical relationship with God to a personal relationship. It's where he goes from living his whole life understanding his identity to a transformed identity. It comes to this point where everything changes for the future of Jacob, and we'll start there and then we'll, we'll figure out how did we get there and how does it apply to our lives. So we go to the cinematic climax. We're going to fast forward. We're going to push skip on Netflix and go all the way to the climactic moment. And here it is. That night, Genesis 32, Jacob got up and he took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. That is a Disney 
land trip from hell right there. I'm just going to tell you. 11 sons and two wives, okay? That's that. I just got home from vacation with one wife, and that's hard enough. That's hard enough, everybody, to make everybody happy. I got one wife and two kids. And I want to tell you, these two female servants aren't there picking up ice cream off their ice cream cones and, you know, changing diapers and, and, and rocking people to sleep. These two female servants, they're actually, they're actually were part of the family. When uh, Rachel and Leah could not have children, the female servants actually bore four of the 11 kids. So you want to talk about, like, you know, some desperate housewives of the Middle East right here. We got some crazy... Sister wives stuff going on, okay? Crazy things. But at least they had enough for still a 15-passenger van, okay? So they're driving a church van around across the fort of the Chabot. And here's what happens. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. Now, he's preparing for something important in his life. And it's in this moment of solitude, it's in this moment of quiet, it's in this moment of, of, of focused direction, something supernatural takes place. And the Bible says a man shows up and wrestled with him till daybreak. Now, it's, it's not really a man, it's the form of a man, but what we'll learn in a minute is it's, it's really God. And many scholars believe this is a visitation of, of the Son of God, Jesus, to Jacob. It's what, it's what they call, scholars call a, a pre-incarnate theophany. I'm not going to get all nerdy with you with words, but a pre-incarnate before the flesh, like carne asada, pre-incarnate, <laughs> pre-incarnate asada, theophany, a visitation of God. So before Jesus was in the flesh, he visits and he wrestles with Jacob. And when the man, the son of God, saw that he could not overpower him. That is a crazy line that we're going to unpack a little later. Could not overpower him. The man touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Anybody ever had a shoulder or a hip or a knee like blown out of socket? Unbelievable pain. And then the man said, the man, the son of God, let me go for it's daybreak. They had wrestled all night long. But Jacob replied, I can't let you go. I will not let you go unless you bless me. Jacob's eyes are open and he realizes this ain't just some guy that's uh, trying to take my wallet. The man asked, what's your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Struggled with God. The name Israel. Struggled with God and overcome. And Jacob said, well, well tell, tell me your name. And I love, it's not snarky, but I love like as a matter of fact it is, you know. But he replied, why do you ask my name? It's like, you know who I am? I am who I am, okay? Like that's my name, I am. Like it's God. He knows it. You're not going to ask just Bobby Joe to bless you. You know who I am. And then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it's because I saw God face to face. That's what Peniel means, face to face with God. And yet my life was spared. Do you know it's a daring thing? It's a dangerous thing. It can be even a scary thing to stand face to face with the God of the cosmos. His life was spared in that holiness. Despite all his sins and flaws, he stood in the presence of God. The sun above him rose as he passed Peniel and he was limping because of his hip. In other words, he never walked quite the same after an encounter with God. 
Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. It's so important in Jewish culture and so important in the history of understanding the Bible too that even the Israelites to this day stay away from that part of the, the, the animal because of respect of what happened in this cinematic, climactic moment with Jacob and with God. Now, in order to know how we got to where we are, we have to know the story not just of Jacob and not just Jacob's dad, but we have to understand Jacob's grandpa. Jacob's grandpa, Abraham. And Abraham is 75 years old and God shows up and God chooses out of all of the, out of all the people groups, out of, out of all of, of the sons and, and, and women and men who have, who have ever lived, God goes to Abraham and, and, and says, basically, gives him a prophetic moment, gives him a, a dream, and here's what he says. He says, basically, Abraham, I'm going to save the world through your family. Now, Abraham is 75 years old. He's not had any kids. This doesn't seem to be the right time to, to start. Sarai, his wife, whose name will later be changed to Sarah, she here overhears and she kind of laughs. She's like, hmm, this oven ain't baking no bread. What you talking about? Give me a break. And yet God's saying, no, 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 I want to save the world through your family. What does he mean? That there is going to come through your lineage, there's going to be sons, and, and through these descendants, from one generation to the next generation to the next generation, at some point, at some point, and later we'll realize that it's 42 generations later that Jesus comes, that the whole world is saved through the line of Abraham, and, and it's going to be chosen. Each time there's a generation, there's going to be a specific child. It's not always going to be the firstborn. We'll learn that, and we'll see that all throughout Scripture. In other words, just because the cultural norm of the day was that the firstborn was the one who get all the inheritance, God was willing to turn culture on its head and do something countercultural in order for his will to be done, and he's not stopped, and he's not going to stop. Even in 2020, God will go countercultural of what the world says is right, what the world says you should do, what the world says you should embrace. And he says, no, 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 can you live countercultural and just follow me even when the world says go here? That's what I want to do. And I'm going to save the world through your family, Abraham. And so sure enough, what does Abraham do? He does what we said is the bad news that we all do. He wants to take matters into his own hands. And so because Sarah says, I can't, I'm not going to get pregnant. Pff, I'm, going to, I'm going to watch my soap operas. You go, you know, do your thing. And so he goes with the maidservant, Hagar, and they have Ishmael. And Ishmael is born. And a lot, all of the unrest in the Middle East really back and stems from this moment where two major nations are split. The nation of Ishmael and the nation of Isaac, the Jewish culture, Israel will come from here, and then Ishmael and even uh, Muslims and Islam comes back to Father Abraham because that's where they start from Ishmael. Okay? But sure enough, Ishmael's not the answer because when you take matters into your own hands, you're going to mess things up. God still has a plan. God will not be stopped. Whether the womb is barren or not, God has a plan. And so sure enough, Abraham has Isaac. And Isaac is told by Abraham, listen, God told me, listen, God wants to save the world through our family. So it's important that, we, that, that when you hear from God that you choose the right the right descendant that's going to carry to finally the Messiah. The Messiah is going to come, and we need to be hearing from God on every generation. Well, Isaac kind of, it gets a little complicated because when Isaac gets married to Rebekah, they have kids, but they actually have twins. 
And the firstborn of the twins, his name is Esau. And Esau, okay, let, let, me, let me ask this. Anybody, you ever, who, who has had, who's, who's a, a parent that has more than one child? Anybody? Parent that more than one child. Okay, you can put your hands down. Now, you know, as well as I do, not all babies come out beautiful. You know it's the truth. Don't even lie. You, you can lie to your kids. Don't lie to your pastor, okay? Like, not all babies. I'm going to tell you, my, our firstborn, our daughter, Sage, came out of the cesarean. Her, her, her hair was dark. Almost like, it was almost like done. And her eyes were open. And she went, <laughs> like that. And then she just smiled. Like two weeks later, she's sleeping 12 hours a night. We were like, God, we are the best parents in the world. But then God, what it was, it was a trick. It was a trick. He reeled us in to have another one. And Graham, I promise you before, like, like right before the cesarean, I promise I could hear him in the womb. He comes out of that womb, that cesarean, and he is just... It was so bad that even the doctors were laughing in the operator. Like they were like, man, this kid won't shut up. And I'm gonna say, he wasn't the best, he wasn't the most beautiful baby. Okay? He wasn't the most beautiful. Sage the beautiful Graham, eh, not so much. All right. Now he's he's matured into a handsome, fine young 11 year old Okay? But back then it was like, whose baby is this? You know? Esau comes out, and, and, and the mom sees Esau. Sees the baby, names him Esau, but here's what Esau means. Hairy and red. So you know, probably not the most beautiful baby, okay? Like, like moms, thank God we're like naming them beforehand, right? And not just naming them by their looks anymore. Well, as Esau is born, as he's born, is pulled from the womb, you see the hand of Jacob grab the heel of Esau. This is that twins delivery moment. And so Rebecca names the second child Jacob, which actually means heel grabber, but also in that culture would mean deceiver or liar. Oh, what's his name? He's so beautiful. Liar. <laughs> like, what are you claiming over your, over your kiddos? Hey, you, have you heard the, you've heard this statement. Are you pulling my leg? Are you pulling my leg? Well, part of the origin of that whole idea of pulling someone's leg has its history, if you go all the way down to pulling the leg, pulling, grabbing the heel of Esau. And here's what's interesting. You would assume that in, in that culture, the firstborn got a double portion, got most of the inheritance in order for that family to have status, okay? You wouldn't divide it equally among all the children. You would give the majority of the lion's share of the inheritance to the firstborn so that their family could stay in the status, in that, in that stratosphere of status within the, the culture they were living. But God had a different plan. He was going to go counter-cultural. And while Rebecca is pregnant with these twins, the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, Rebecca. And two peoples from within you will be separated. And one people will be stronger than the other. And here's the linchpin. And the older will serve the younger. Whoa, that's countercultural. That doesn't make since the younger should serve the older, but she's saying, no, 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 no. So before Rebecca even births Esau and Jacob, she's having conversations, some pillow talk with Isaac saying, it's going to be the younger one. It's going to be the younger one. And Isaac doesn't know how to feel about that. And sure enough, these two kids grow up. And as these boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. Bear grills, understood how to track and catch and shoot and hunt and 
spit and whatnot, everything and what for. He was a man of the open country, y'all. Drove a truck, right? Truck's truck. Had a lift kit on it and everything. But while Jacob, he was content to stay at home among the tents. He drove a Prius. He liked, he liked to do TikTok videos, and he knew every name of every judge on Iron Chef. Just different kiddos, okay? Different kiddos. But, but understand that Rebecca is a loving mother of both, okay? Um, she favored Jacob, and she would say, baby doll, is she, is she bouncing him on the knee? As, as he lays down, nine years old, and she lays down next to him, and, and she's, she's just putting the, the hand through her hair. She's, she's saying, God told me. God told me you're going you're gonna to be the one, not your brother. You're going to be the one. Can you, you want to talk about some family dysfunction? I mean, right? I, 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 know, I know Esau's older, but baby, you're mine. You, you are, you, you're the answer. You are God's chosen. Uh. Don't let that hairy red guy tell you any different. <laughs> I know he's my child. I can talk about my child the way I want to talk about my child. Now, how do I know this? Is this just conjecture? No. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. Chip off the old block. Isaac knew the prophecy, but Isaac wanted to take matters into his own hands because he favored Esau, while Rebekah loved Jacob. And as you're growing up in this kind of family dynamic, Jacob begins to see when they show up to, to supper that night, Jacob says, oh, dad, guess, guess what I learned today as I was reading that encyclopedia. And Isaac's like, that's great. And Esau says, I saw a 12-pointer in the back 40. And Isaac's I was like, oh, tell me more. And he's interested in what Esau has to say. And Jacob has to choke down the reality of, I thought, I thought my mama said that I'm supposed to be the, the heir. But he loves Esau more than he loves me. And so what does Jacob learn early on in life? Jacob begins to take matters into his own hands. And you and I, we learn the same thing. It, we, 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 are, uh, we have this, this uh, innate ability to try and do things myself. What's one of the first things our kids love to say? I can do it myself. I can do it myself. And we want to teach discipline to our kids and we want to teach a, a, a independence to our children. But if we're not careful, we can't, we, we can't teach them an independence to Jesus. We got to teach them dependence to Jesus. I've heard some families say, I'm going to let my kids decide what they're going to believe. They ultimately will decide. So if they want to go to church, they don't want to go to church. I'm going to let them decide. But you wouldn't say that about brushing their teeth. You say, get in the bathroom and brush your teeth. Why? Because you know they need to brush their teeth. You know it's what they need. Let me live my life. I'm not going to live. let you live your three-fang-tooth-mouth three life. Now, I know that's what our neighbors look like, but you ain't going to look like that, son. Go brush your teeth and get in the car. We're going to school. Or not. Who knows? <laughs> Jacob begins to take matters into his own hands. He says, if, if, if I'm not going to be chosen by my dad, and it's the only way I'm going to get the inheritance, it's the only way I'm going to get my blessing, I've got to figure it out on my own. And so later on in their teenage years, Esau's been hunting all day. Jacob's been chopping cucumbers and making this cool cucumber reduction sauce with a lobster bisque and some other things. 
And he sees Esau coming in, and he can tell Esau's famished. He'd been working all day long hunting and hasn't caught anything. And Jacob goes to him and says, hey, you hungry? And Esau's like, am I hungry? I came out of the woods because I smelt what was cooking on the fire. What you got in there, little iron chef, little Bobby Flay? What's going on? And Jacob's like, oh, nothing much. Just a little something, something I put up with like a demi-glaze. And a bam, he's like going emerald on it. He says, you want some? He says, do I want some? Can I have some? He says, yes, you can have some. Give me your birthright. For Give me your birthright. And Esau is so short-sighted. He's so driven by his appetite that he's willing to let go of something eternal, something lifelong for a short-term reward. Oh, my goodness. Do not get into the Esau syndrome. That's what Hebrews 12 in the Message Bible calls it. Beware of the Esau syndrome. Trade in your lifelong birthright to fulfill a short-term appetite. Uh, I'm not going to let them get by with that. I'm going to say it. I'm going to zing it. I'm going to tell them how I really feel. They deserve to know how that made me feel. And you have a short-term appetite that is satisfied by the words you can never get back. And you forsake things. The blessings of knowing when to speak and knowing when to just stay silent. And listening more than you talk. And we trade them in for short-term appetites. Lust is like that. Debt is like that. Relational, relational bitterness can be like that. Jacob begins to take matters into his own hands. and tries to trade the birthright. But it doesn't matter. Isaac's still planning on giving the birthright to Esau. And so the Bible says that uh, Isaac gets old in age. He can't see. He's wearing those big old dark, big black glasses. He's laying in bed and he calls, he calls Esau. Esau, come here for a minute. Esau comes in there. Rebecca's over in the corner ironing a, a tunic or whatever. I don't know what they're wearing. And, and, and Isaac says it like this. He says, go kill me an elk. Cook it up the way you know I like it. He says, oh, yeah, I know the way you like it. <laughs> you know, you know. <laughs> okay, just, just go. And Esau goes hunting to go kill an elk, cook it, and bring it to his dad because he knows this is the moment Isaac is going to lay his hands on me and is going to bless me. Rebecca overhears this. and so She goes into the other room, and there Jacob is. And she says, Jacob, here. She opens the freezer. She goes, Go warm this up in the microwave. Put some sauce on it. It's time. But, but, but mom, you, we're going to trick your dad. We're going to give him the elk. He, it, we're going to trick him. Um, you're going to have to change your voice. You're going to have to change. You're going to hear, hear. And she pulls out like an old Halloween costume, old Teen Wolf, Teen Wolf Halloween costume. She says, he's hairy. You're going to be hairy. Put this Teen Wolf costume on. So puts on the hair and everything. And, and, and he's like, even the, helmet, even the head is, no, no, he can't see that much. Like, you don't want to look like a wolf. And so, so. I don't know if that happened or not. I, I'm, I'm still figuring that one out. But, 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 but the Bible does say that he, he put hair on himself and he changed his voice a little bit and he brought in the elk and he goes, hey, dad. And he's like, Jacob, is that you? <coughs> no, no, dad, it's not. It's, uh, it's your firstborn Esau. <laughs> Dear <coughs> elk bullets. Like he's just trying to be the man's man of the open country. He says, come closer. He, you know, before, before Jacob got in there, he steps into some deer poop and wipes, you know, some, some venison on him. And he's like, well, you smell like Esau. 
And you feel, is filling the team wolf hair, oh, you feel like Esau, you were always hairy. Even when you were born, you were just hairy and red. And Jacob's like, okay, <clears throat> okay, dad. Sure enough, Isaac lays his hands on Jacob, who's trying to take matters into his own hands. Do you know Christians do this too? They try to do spiritual things in their own hands. It, it, it get, it, church services get, get weird because pastors want to control the room and, and, and you, you get people that, that, that are, are trying to force a response of God. Take matters in their own hands. When God's going to be God, you've got to let God be God. God is going to say what he needs to say. Sure enough, Isaac lays his hands on Jacob. He blesses him. He gives him the inheritance, and Jacob walks out. And like a comedy of errors, no sooner does Jacob walk out, the Bible says that Esau walks in with his prepared meal. He comes in and says, Dad, I'm, I'm here. And the Bible says, whew, the Bible says, Isaac trembled violently. Have your kids ever ticked you off so bad that you have trembled violently? No, you, no, no, really, just me? Okay, all right, that's fine. I got work to do, I got, I got to grow. My dad would get so upset sometimes. He'd say, dad, why are you so mad at me? He's like, I'm not mad, I'm frustrated. You know, he'd have to go into the garage and just walk around and say some things, good things. He was a pastor, but say some things. <laughs> Isaac trembles violently. Why? He says, who, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came and I blessed him and indeed he will be blessed. Look at this. Indeed he will be blessed. Now listen, in our culture we understand that if, there, if you go into a contract with someone but it's based on fraudulent circumstances, that contract's not going to hold up. If you defrauded someone to get the contract, that, oh, I've got it on contract. That contract's not going to last in a court of law. And that's how Esau sees it. He says, no, he was dressed in Teen Wolf. What are you even talking about? Bless me instead. He grabs his hand and says, no, no, dad, bless, bless me. I'm the firstborn. You know we've been planning on this. And, he, and, and, and the Bible says Isaac trembled violently. And he said, no, 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 your, 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 your brother is already blessed. Here's why he was trembling violently, not out of anger. But he's realizing God is going to have his way. God, when my, when my wife was pregnant with twins, said Jacob was going to get it. And I've been trying to live my life keeping Esau as the, as the in person to inherit it. But God is going to have his way whether I want it or not. And it's that moment that Isaac trembles violently. And he says, no, he's going to be blessed because it's not about me blessing him in the first place. God has chosen him. Do you know what happens? Esau leaves and held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near, then I'm going to kill my brother, Jacob. And so now Esau's wanting to take matters into his own hands. And what has, ha has to happen is Jacob, instead of getting the inheritance that he tricked his dad out of, that was already his to begin with because God said it was his, not because Isaac said it was his, now Jacob has to leave the inherited land that he had to connive and wheel, wheel and deal his way into getting. He has to flee what he had, try, what he had deceived his dad into getting because his brother's going to try and kill him. And so he flees and for 20 years is on the run. But do you know what's crazy about God? Do you know what's crazy? 
God still blesses Jacob, even when he's on the run. Can I tell you, if you've been running from God, if you have tried to take matters into your own hands, God sees you where you are, not where you should be, and he will still meet you. He still draws close when you have run away. It's the kind of God we serve. Jacob lives his life. Jacob lives his life taking matters into his own hands. God tries to get his attention. God, God says, God shows him a vision years later. It's this stairway to heaven. It's a, it's a song, but it's not that, this is not what it's talking about. It's this, it's this ladder to heaven and angels are going up and down. And basically it's an imagery that God is showing Jacob that I'm gonna, I'm gonna be approachable. I'm gonna let you approach me. And ultimately through you, humanity is gonna be able to approach heaven because I'm gonna send Jesus down. I'm gonna send the son of God down. And he sees all this, and here's Jacob. Again, he's got a clinical relationship with God. I wonder how many of us in the room have a clinical understanding of the big man upstairs, or the good, good Lord versus my father in heaven. And Jacob makes a vow after he sees this ladder and the stairway and all this. He says, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household. If you do this, God, then maybe then, 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 then the Lord will be my God. I wonder how many of us, that's our prayers for breakthrough. God, give me what I want. Give me what I want. Give me what I need. Give me what I'm afraid of. Give me what I need. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. And then I'll know you. And really, it starts with knowing him and him being your God, and then he provides. But we get it backwards like Jacob did. And sure enough, for 20 years, Jacob prospers. He grows. He gets those two wives and those two maidservants, and he starts having kids. And those kids, one of them, it's not even going to be the firstborn of his. It's actually so weird that God chooses. It's going to be the fourth child of Jacob's, Judah, that Jesus is going to come from because God's going to have his way and he's going to make his choice. But years and years go by and Jacob finally says, I, I don't want to live on the run for the rest of my life. I don't want to live away from my inheritance. I want to at least make amends. Can I, can I figure out what to do with Esau? Because Esau's been chasing after him. And so Jacob decides that he's going to figure out how to get back into good graces with Esau. And so here's his first step. In great fear and distress, Jacob divides the people who were with him, all his family and his stock and his inheritance and his bank accounts and the flocks and the herds and the camels as well. And why did he do this? He thought if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. I don't want my whole seed to be wiped out, all I've worked so hard for. I don't want everything to be wiped out because Esau's on a, on, on a bloodthirsty uh, uh, rage to come and kill me. And so here, here's what Jacob does to try and get back into good graces. He's so calculated from the, from the stew to the hair to now. Here's what Jacob does. He selected a gift for his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats. 200 ewes and 20 rams. 30 female camels, 10 bulls. And a case of Bud Light. No, I'm kidding. That's not in the Bible. Dilly dilly Esau. Okay. He takes all this stuff, and here's what he does. He puts them in the care of his servants, each herd by itself. So, so it's almost like a, a Macy's Thanksgiving parade of gifts to Esau, okay? He put them in the care of his servants, each herd by itself, and he said to his servants, go ahead of me and keep some space between the floats. Keep some space between the herds. And he instructed the one in the lead, now when my brother Esau meets you, 
and says, who do you belong to? Where are you going? Who owns all these animals in front of you? Here's what, you, here's what you're to say. He says, they belong to your servant, Jacob. See, the, he's trying to, to, to wane humility here. They're a gift sent to my Lord, Esau. And all these gifts, you think it's great? He is coming behind us. He's not just bringing gifts. Jacob is coming to greet you. Jacob is coming to meet you. He wants to make amends. He wants to meet you mano a mano. This is high noon. It's the cinematic climax of Jacob's life. And that night, Jacob got up and took his two wives and two female servants and his 11 sons, and they crossed the ford of the Jabbok. It had led all up to this, and so Jacob was left alone. He's preparing to meet Esau. That's why he's alone. He's, he's getting ready to meet the enemy of his life. The adversary he's been fighting since he was young. The person he's been trying to avoid since the beginning. The, the source of his issues. The source of his pain. The source of his problem. He, he's he's going to face mano y mano Esau. Little does he know that he is about to meet his adversary. But it's not his brother that he's been fighting and running from his entire life. It's God. It's God. That's who he's been fighting for control with. That's who he's been unwilling to make amends with. And do you know that your number one problem is not that dad that never said I love you. It's not the relational issue that has caused this bitter root to grow and you don't know how it's going to overcome. Your number one problem is not that financial reality. Your number one problem is not the ex. Your number one problem is, 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 not, is not where that food's going to come from. I want you to know it's your number one problem and it's my number one problem. And it's the number one problem through the word of God, our number one problem is fighting with God. How do we fight with God? We fight him for control. We fight him for the last word. And do you know what God says in return? You don't trust me. You don't want to trust. You, you, you trust your ability to make sure the right person stays in the White House or gets in the White House. And Christians act like they're in charge and they're in control. Do not get me wrong. Marriage, the church, and even government, legislative, executive, and judicial branch all come from Scripture. Those three institutions God designed but when you start trying to think that everything is going to get better or everything's going to get worse just because of your political leanings, I'm telling you, you miss it. And you, you just, it, it's just you trying to grab for control. Be a part of politics. Talk it out. Don't be an idiot. Like that ought, that's a great slow. That'd be my election run right there. Don't be idiots. I don't want to be one either. But the way we treat each other cannibalize each other with our words, taking matters into our own hands, thinking that if we can just get the right situation in D.C. fixed, that everything else, no, it's all in here first. Starts in the heart as individual, into families, into neighborhoods, into communities, into cities, into states, into nations. You want to change your world, change your heart. 
You want to change the climate of this culture? Change your heart. Stop trying to take control of everything and trust God. But you don't trust me. Because the moment things get a little weird, the moment things get a little out of control, the moment they're asking you to do something that bless God, you know, Jesus met Paul on the road to demask us. And I think that says something. I think that says something that we ought to demask us. That's what God says. Shut up. <laughs> I, don't got that. I don't care who you are. That's funny right there. That's, that's funny. Uh, <laughs> we love control. He says, you don't trust me. You know what else he says? You don't, you don't want to depend on my grace. The apostle Paul struggled with this. He said, many times I've asked God to take something from me, but I had to learn his grace is sufficient for me. I was asking him to remove it. His grace will be sufficient whether COVID comes or goes in the next few months, years, or decades. His grace will be sufficient. Trust him. Trust him. Putting all our trust in that next video we saw. Putting all our trust in that person or this person or our own opinions Trust God. Trust God. He has never, he has never made the righteous be forsaken or his seed beg for bread. Is there times where you're hungry? Is there times where you don't know where it's going to come? Yeah. But God will be faithful. He will. Now let me wrap up. Let me wrap up. So the Bible says he, the man, the son of God, touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. You know that word touch? Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean from the top rope body slam. It doesn't mean DDT. It doesn't mean I put him in a jujitsu choke hold. The word touch there literally means touched. What this shows us is wrestled with him all night, but he withheld his power. Withheld, 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 and simply touched him, and it radically affected Jacob. He wounded Jacob. He wounded Jacob to the point where Jacob would walk with a hip the rest of his life and the entire Jewish culture would be radically transformed in, their, in what they eat because he touched him and he wounded Jacob. And, and this is hard for us to understand in a world that we want everything to feel good and not have any issues. But I want to break this down for you. Number two, God almost always has to wound you to show you who he is. Now, 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 you mean God just gives people sickness? No, 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 that's not what I mean. I don't mean he's handing out cancer. I don't, I don't mean that, that he's a, a vindictive God. But he does allow there to be wounds in your life. And can I tell you, wounds many times can become the catalyst for a deepened relationship with Jesus. My sister-in-law, who died in her mid-30s from breast cancer. She was a, a single woman missionary to Northern Asia. She loved Jesus. She sacrificed for Jesus. But there was just something about that cancer that drew her so much closer to Jesus. That wound led her closer, not further away. If you want your wounds to lead you away from Jesus, you can. 
but you can also let your wounds get you closer. Listen, there's a reason why people that love faithful to the wounds of a friend, the Bible says. There, there are times where as a friend, you've got to say something that's going to wound a friend, but you've got to say it because, listen, this is the same kind of guy that you said you're never going to date again. I know, I know, yeah, he's been in prison, but he's got blue eyes and he's so handsome and he's all this. And like, yeah, but he's, he's the same kind of person the last three guys were and you said never again. Look at me in the eyes and say, never, I'm never going to do that again. I didn't see that coming. This is that talk. And they're like, I know, but he's just so sweet. And you have to wound them with your words, like, like a surgeon that would be willing to cut you in order to hopefully heal you. Jesus sometimes allows surgery to be done, and you have to be cut in order to, to be healed. And you learn from that. An intervention shows you past your own denial and wounds you, but it Get you stepping in the right direction. This moment where God touches Jacob, this isn't the full wrath of God, okay? This isn't God being mean to Jacob. This is the grace of God. Because God could have destroyed him where he stood, could have pulverized him, could have wiped him out because sin and our flaws cannot stand in the presence of a holy God, yet God still wants to draw near. And the truth is, when we look at our lives, we all have a limp, your limp may be different than my limp, but we all have a limp. Wounds, hurts, regrets, and yet God can still work those things together for those who love him. And so I end with this, this scripture here. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, what a crazy way to say it in the scripture. He could not overpower him. It seems to me like when, when the author's writing it, it almost like he gets it wrong. Like, shouldn't it say... He did not allow himself to be overpowered because he's God of the cosmos. He's God of the cosmos. But no, the scripture is clear and there's nothing wasted in scripture. He could not overpower him. Do you, do you know why? Because God's promise was that through this line, a Messiah was gonna come. So God was going to give grace and was going to lead and his will was gonna be done because he's a God of promises. So he doesn't pulverize Jacob, but he does change him. It's, it's a moment of discipline, not destruction. But let me show you something here. Because as much as we want to feel like we're Jacob in the story, we're not. We're not. You know, that, that we're seeing Jesus in this story. But let, let me show you what I mean. Jacob only got a touch of God's wrath. Only got a touch. Do you know what happens? Jacob loses badly. Jacob loses badly. His hip is wrenched. He's like, okay, but he's hanging on. And do you know what is beautiful about this story? When he first started fighting in the middle of the night, he is trying to fight to get away. But now he's wounded. He understands who he's with and he, he won't let go. He's fighting to hang on. And some of you have been fighting to try and get away from God. And he's inviting you, come on, wrestle with me to get with me and to get close to me and hear me and understand and know where I'm coming from and, and get into my word and spend some time in prayer. And let's wrestle about these things together because I'll never leave you or forsake you. You can bring your hard questions to me and you can bring your frustrations to me and you can pray out your doubts to me. I'm not going to sit there and say, no, 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 no. All you say is now I lay me down to sleep. No, bring all your junk. Bring all your issues. Bring all your emotion. Oh, I can handle it, he says. Jacob loses badly, but here's what's crazy. You would, you would think Jacob, because of his hip, that he, that he lost, but it said the man couldn't overpower 
Jacob. And what happens is God changes Jacob's name. And so no longer now is Jacob supposed to be a deceiver and a liar and a hill grabber and a take my life uh, in my own hands kind of guy. God says, no, 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 no. Your name's no longer Jacob. Now I'm naming you You're Israel because you've struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. A wrenched hip doesn't sound like he's overcome anything. But when God says, hey, this is who you are. Don't be identified by what they said. Be identified by what I say. When God says it, just like Jacob only got a touch, the truth is Jesus took all of God's wrath. God did not hold back on his son and just touch him. No, 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 no. He was wounded and he was pierced and he was bruised and he was executed on a cross between two common criminals. Jacob loses badly, yeah, but Jesus lost totally. Gave his life. Commits his spirit father in his humanity he says my god my god why have you forsaken me because because jesus took all that we deserve how do we with all our sins and flaws stand in the presence of a holy god because jesus took all your sins and flaws and now when you stand in the presence of a holy god god doesn't see all your sins and flaws he sees the beauty of the sacrifice of his son that covers you completely and here's what's great oh I might just preach today. I don't know. God changes Jacob's name, but guess what? He's not the only one that he's changed a name on. He changes your name too, and guess what? You are no more the person that's just the sinner, but you are a sinner saved by grace. You're not just Emily and not just Dan. You're a son and daughter of the king if you want to be. And the apostle Paul says, now, now, back, we are more than conquerors, not by what you did, not by your conniving and your, your real quick schemes of flipping an inheritance for some lobster bisque no 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 you are more than a conqueror through him and only him and it's because of what he did not what you could ever do that places you in an opportunity to receive to come boldly before the throne that you try to usurp all the time and I do too to boldly come before the throne of grace when we've tried to scoot him off the throne and we sit down and say my way my highway we can still come before that throne we try to steal we can approach him boldly and we will find mercy but you know I only get there I only really win when I choose to lose you and I are fighting with God every day who's gonna be in charge who's gonna give you the grace you need who's gonna fulfill you who's gonna identify you who's gonna who's gonna tell you who you are you in the mirror of Jesus Who's going to define you? Who's going to guide you? Who's going to empower you? Who's going to love you? And I only really win when I choose to lose. Do you see that's what Jesus did in his humanity and divinity the night he was betrayed by Judas? He's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he says, oh, I wish we could take this matter into our own hands. Take this cup from me. This is not feeling good. But he stops. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's, that's my humanity speaking. Not my will. Not my will. 
yours be done. And Jesus won by losing. Jesus wins by limiting himself, by coming in weakness as a baby born in a barn. Why? Because if he would come in all this glorious power and say, bow, we would bow out of have to, not get to, but instead he comes into the manure of life and he lives a regular life because you have got some manure in your life and a regular life too. And he knows the ups and the downs and family dysfunctions and hurts and criticisms. And he knows what it's like to be in pain. He says, I do all this because I limited myself to show you I know what you're going through. You can trust me with your life. Stop trying to take it into your own hands. And Jesus in order to win for humanity, in order to save the world through that Messiah, he had to break himself, be broken. So what's the key to your breakthrough? What is the key, what is the first step to a breakthrough with a God of the cosmos? Brokenness precedes your willingness to come before God and say, I don't have it all together. And I don't know what my next step is. I think I've got some ideas, but God, I yet again today and every day, and we're inviting you to make a habit of the next 21 days. Thank you for meeting me where I am and giving me next steps and not being mad at me. In fact, would you close your eyes and bow your heads at all our locations and you're here and you say, I've been wrestling with God. I've been on the throne, man. That's me. That's me. And you don't even know all the answers. You don't even know what's next, but you do know you need to surrender to Jesus. That's what you would say. Jesus, I surrender. Help me with my next steps in you. I don't have it all together. I don't even know. I got a lot of junk. He says, we'll deal with that later. You're my son. You're my daughter. Give me control and I, I will guide you and I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. If you need to pray that, pray it. I can't pray it for you, but you can pray it. Jesus, I surrender. I give you control. Thank you for not being mad at me, but loving me so much you give me this moment to make things right. And with eyes closed and heads bowed at our locations, maybe there's a struggle. Maybe there's something that's a, it's a wound. There's something you're, you've been trying to take matters into your own hands. And you're, if you're honest with God and honest with yourself and be honest with me, I'll be honest with you. Yeah, I've got some stuff I love to take into my own hands. If that's you, would you put a hand up? I, I, I got something I've been taking in my own hands. I got to give it to God today. Anybody? Yeah. Me too. And so, Father, it's not easy, but we now release control to you today. We may, in the middle of the night, wake up in a frenzy trying to grab control back. But for now, for right now, in this moment, you're in control. I depend on your, I depend on your grace. I trust you. I trust you. And I'm giving you the reins of my life. I'm giving you the throne of my heart. I'm giving you this situation. I'm giving you this child. I'm giving you this finance. I'm giving you this emotion. I'm giving you this relationship. I'm giving you this work order. I'm giving you this and that and the other thing because I'm tired of trying to do it all on my own. And I give you control and I surrender to that. And it's not easy because I love to control. But thank you, God, that still in the middle of my control, you will draw near to me and show me how to we thank you for this and we know Lord this is the beginning of breakthroughs that are coming and we receive it in the mighty name of Jesus the strong son of God and everybody said amen